Well, hey, good morning. Happy New Year. Yeah, I mean, come on. It is 2023, whether you're ready for it or not. Here we are. Praise the Lord. So happy that y'all have gathered this morning to worship God and to open his word. You are going to want a Bible this morning. Uh, We're going to dig into a few things to start off our year. Um, But also, you're going to want a pen if you don't have one already. So uh, we have some people I think can walk around. We've got some pens there we can pass out. Uh, So if you need a Bible, slip up a hand. If you need a pen, let somebody know. Hopefully on your way in, you got one of these. Hold this up if you got that. Uh, if, you, if you need one, we could pass some of these out as well. Um, and so if you need any of this, we're, we're preparing. So yeah, grab, grab a Bible, grab a, a, one of these renewed journals, and, and grab a pen. So it's interesting, New Year's, uh, the way that New Year's Day affects us, isn't it? Because technically... You're really no different this morning than you were 24 hours ago, right? I mean, your life hasn't changed radically overnight. Now, there's one unfortunate kicker from Ohio State. His life is very different. I had to say, I had to reference something. Come on. I know most of you are up past midnight. But for most of us in this room, our life is not radically different than it was this time 24 hours ago, right? And yet there's this thing about New Year's. There's this thing about New Year's Eve and the the celebration of the end of the year. And then waking up New Year's Day, a brand new year. And it's really, it's it's this reminder, really an invitation to sort of reset and, uh, and renew our minds and our hearts around the things that really matter. It's a time of reflection, of looking back and saying, okay, where are we? Where, where am I this year as compared to this time last year? It's one of those mile marker moments in our lives, that, like sort of those exits along the highway. That is like I can clearly look back to New Year's Day 2022. And my hopes and expectations for the year, my fears and my insecurities about the year ahead. And here I am a year later. What hopes came to pass? What hopes were deferred? As the Bible says, that makes our hearts sick. What what disappointments that you didn't see coming? What are you grieving? Like We look back on this past year and see, okay, where have we been? But it's also a time not just simply to, to look back or to mourn or to grieve or to, to, to celebrate or try to hold on to what has been, but to look with expectation ahead to the year to come. To search our hearts. God, what is going on in me? What do you need to renew in me? What do you need to restore? What do I need to repent from? to change and turn? How are you inviting me to dream with you again? And so, so today, I mean, I'm going to preach a sermon that's probably pretty familiar if you've been at Grace Monroe, because it's the way that we always start the year. And it's with something that we call Watch Week. Watch Week has begun officially the moment that you opened your mouths to sing. Because Watch Week is that first week of the year that as a church family, we set aside to reset, renew our hearts around the things of God, to turn our faces to Jesus, to open our hearts fully with expectation and worship and prayer and fasting. 
Now, the invitation for us as a church family, we've done this for several years now, and it's always been a significant time, not easy, but significant time, is an invitation into what we call, or is called, is a Daniel fast. And uh, for 21 days, and we'll talk about that here in just a second, what that is and why that matters. But also, it's a time of prayer. And, uh, and we will worship a little bit more. We're going to open up the Bible, like I said. But then from this point, this room will be turned into a 24-7 uh, prayer room. It'll be open any time of day or night for you to come and to spend time with the Lord. And we'll set up prayer stations. Actually, you can begin to see them. Some of them have already been kind of preset and staged around the room. And this guide that I pointed out that you were handed when you walked in, this is the guide that will walk you through uh, those prayer stations. And what we're inviting you as a church to do is to, to take an hour that there would be nonstop prayer flowing out of this room for the next seven days, the first week of the year. I, I love that New Year's Day this year is on a Sunday. I feel like it's a really appropriate way to start our year. And so that as we come into this year, it's important to kind of take stock. Where are you? Where is your heart? I, I, uh, I was reading this article my dad, every week, he uh, sends us a package. We get a package in the mail every week from my dad. He's in Kentucky. And, uh, and always in there, there's some random magazines and some, random, and some newspaper articles. And, uh, and with no note attached, it's just, uh, I know he's probably watching right now. We, we love, the, we love the, rent, the packages. But the, uh, but the articles are always kind of interesting, like which ones he chooses and why. I have no idea. And, uh, but one of the ones that was in this last package that we got a couple days ago was an article out of the New York Times and it was a reflection on 2022, and they called it the year of anger. And then what they said is that all of the angst of 2020, that, we were, that 2021 with hopes and expectations was going to be the year that sort of reversed and we could get back to normal, but it didn't happen that way. So surely 2022, things would be better. And we end up with a land war in Europe, and, and now they're calling it the tridemic of COVID plus the flu plus RSV. I mean, it's like things aren't getting better, but it seems like the angst is just increasing. And so all of this anger that was under the surface for the last few years and bum bubbling up has just over overflowing now. And so you have record numbers of, uh, of incidents that are happening on airlines and grown adults beating each other up in Waffle Houses and McDonald's. I mean, this, this sense of like this anger just waiting to, that's no longer just waiting under the surface, but it is rolling off of us onto our loved ones, and the people around us. Maybe you can identify it. Maybe this angst that has turned into frustration and anger is something that you know personally, or maybe you end of that. That driver that inexplicably, on the way to Mississippi uh, to visit Sadie's family, we were, we were um, there was a, a lady behind us, and and I mean, she was like right up on my tail. And there were like eight cars in front of me. There was nowhere for me to go. But she just laid on her horn. And in me, you know, I mean, the pastor that I am, I wanted to be like, bless you in the name of our Lord Jesus. May God make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Now, and I mean, it's actually kind of funny because it's just so absurd. It's like, where, where are we going? There's nowhere for me to go. And, and finally, like, traffic cleared. I pulled off. I mean, I pulled into, into the next lane, and, uh, and she you know, flew up ahead, kind of waved 
greetings to me. And, uh, and then pulled up right behind the next car. And now I don't know what's going on in her life. I mean, I don't know like what, where she's in a rush to get to or where she's in a rush to get away from. You know I mean? I don't know her story, but, but I, I just read that article and I was just, and that was thing I actually shared it with Sadie at that point. I was like, it's like this, this rolling anger that's just boiling up out of us. But the, here's the interesting thing about where that article ended up landing. Is they said that the anger is simply, and, and if, been around grace a while we've talked about this because it's a a biblical principle uh, not just modern science but the anger is is actually a surface emotion anger is the expression of a deeper angst and what is that deeper thing going on and what did they name the the wisdom of the ages fear is they're actually just really scared we're uncertain about the future We're, we're scared of our own mortality We're scared of change. It's the fear and the anxiousness that we don't know what to do with, and it's not abating. In fact, it just seems to be getting worse, and the only thing we know to do, the safer emotion, because we hate fear, is anger, because that at least feels like I have some control, some power. You been there? You been there with your spouse, (laughs) with your children? The uncertainty, the anxiety, the angst that is most easily expressed as an outburst. But the amazing thing, the invitation of God, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to be those people. The most frequent command throughout scripture is, do we know what it is? 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That core thing that's driving people to act in crazy ways, that's dividing our nation and dividing families, that, that core thing that just seems to be crumbling our lives out from under our feet, Jesus speaks directly into that core. Do not be afraid. But he doesn't leave it there. It's not just a command. Don't be afraid. Come on. Stand up like a man. Don't be afraid. No. <laughs> Don't be afraid. What? Where does it go the majority of the time? For I am with you. Say it with me. Do not be afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. We just celebrated Christmas Eve, Emmanuel, God with us. The reality and the presence of the living God of the universe in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the reality we get to live into. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you should be feeling guilty right now. Well, shoot, I, I know that, but I still deal with fear. I still deal with anxiety and anger. It, it's just that we have somewhere to go with it now. You're, you're not just hopeless driving down the road alone with all of that angst and anger and fear and insecurity. You actually have a place to turn. And that place to turn is the cross. This place where we lay our fear down at the feet of a living and present God. Where we're honest with our our anger and our frustrations, our hurt and our despair. And we come to Jesus and we say, like, this is me. And Jesus says, oh, I know. (laughs) And I never turn my face away from you. I'm struggling here, God. I know. And I'm right with you. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. That wasn't even the sermon I had planned to preach, but 
Hopefully somebody needed that this morning. <laughs> now where I was going with that is that the new year in this watch week is an invitation to lean into that very act of turning back to Jesus. Because the reality is that all of us in our lives are, and in the world that we live in are prone to drift. Amen? We're prone to let the fears and the anger and, and the angst of this world creep into our own souls. And, and so we have this invitation this year before the, the busyness of life really catches back up to us to pause and to come before Jesus and say, God, it's Psalm 139, search me, know me. Is there any way worth thought in me? And lead me in the path. Lead me in your way. And so that's the invitation of Watch Week. And so I hold it out to you, and I hope that as a church we will respond. Uh, that we will take this time. We will walk through this, this space of renewal of reflection and repentance. And so it's in prayer and seeking the Lord's face and giving space to the Lord to speak into our souls to intercede on behalf of the people around us, our city, our family, our friends, with expectation for God to lift up our eyes, to, to reawaken dreams and hopes in us so that we can walk into this year confident that the God of this universe sees you, knows you, loves you, and goes with you every step of the way. Now, who doesn't need that? Amen? Now, with that, with that time of prayer, and, and actually, if you want to go and open your prayer journal, you can see, starting on page, uh, page five, is the, is the different prayer guides that, that walk through each station. And you'll see that code there. Uh, and that code is, is that, as I said, is that you can come up here any time of the day or night for the next seven days. This, this will be constant prayer uh, going on. The prayer room will be available to you. But we do want at least one person praying every hour. And so uh, what's awesome is, um, as a church, you've already responded. We have every hour covered from now until, I believe, Monday or Tuesday night is the first open hour. If you, when we walk out, um, you'll see... Uh, on, in the lobby there underneath the TV is, uh, is some of the sheets that are available that you could sign up for some of those open hours. We'll also spread some here on the front of the stage at the end of the service. And uh, hopefully by the end of the day, we can fill up all the rest of the hours. Towards the end of the week, there's a number of open spaces. And so we really would like at least one person praying. But again, you can come whenever you want as well. But the other invitation is into a, a place of fasting. Now, fasting is one of those things that as an American church culture that we don't talk a lot about. It sort of goes against the grain of all of our favorite American values, like consumption and eating. And so uh, we, fasting is not something that comes natural, but that's sort of the point. Biblically, fasting is mentioned multiple, multiple times in all kinds of different situations. But at the core of all of it is the desire to seek the face of God. Sometimes it's in times of national crisis or disaster. God, we need you. We seek your face. Sometimes it is an invitation for spiritual renewal when immorality has sort of overtaken the land or the community. God, we need you to restore us. And sometimes fasting is just a rhythm of life, of discipline that, that God invites his people into to be able to, to continue to increase their appetite for him by 
setting aside or decreasing, in a sense, their appetite for other things. Fasting biblically is always about food. Now, I know there's all kinds of, uh, you know, great-hearted types of fast that people engage in. And I actually recommend some of them. I recommend uh, strongly, adamantly recommend that uh, a digital fast, at least for a day a week, and at least an hour a day, you know, write that down. I know some of you that terrifies you. Uh, but, I mean, everything, like research, once again, proving that our, uh, what God says about our hearts and our presence and our attention. Uh, but I would encourage you. I mean, yeah, fast from your phones for a day. Uh, fast from your phones for, you know, an hour a night, whatever it might be. But biblically, fasting isn't about I'm going to fast from Netflix, I'm going to fast from my phone, I'm going to, you know, fast from running, whatever that might be. That's my favorite fast. Uh, is, uh, is, is about food. Because there's something at the core of the human experience going back through all of the ages that food equals security. Now, we live in a land where we, we, most of us, and, and I don't want to say this flippantly because I know there are people that even in our own city deal with food insecurity. I know there's a lot of children in our schools. Uh, food insecurity is very real. But for, for most of us in America, uh, we are going to be able to find Food. It may not be healthy, but we can find something to put in our bellies. But still, at the core of what it means to be human is, is, this, uh, is this sense that food equals security. And if you begin to take food away from me, you're questioning my existence. You're putting my life at risk. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to ask you to intentionally give up this thing that at its core is about your safety and security in order to reset your true security on the only rock that can actually hold you. So fasting, biblically, is about giving up for a certain period of time food. Now, there's multiple kinds of fasts throughout the Bible. There is a total fast. You read about Jesus fasting in the wilderness as he began his public ministry, where it says that he fasted from food and water, but obviously he is the son of God. And so I'm not encouraging anyone to do that for 40 days, but, uh, but a total fast from food for an extended period of time. I have a good friend of mine that's entering into a 21-day uh, food fast where he's just water uh, for 21 days. If you've never fasted before, that's not the way to start. I would actually encourage you just to fast for a day. From the time you wake up until you go to bed, just a 24-hour fast. And let that, those hunger pains, every time you feel that growl in your stomach, that space that's created for what, that you would normally have for meals, to, to focus on God, to get on your knees, to pray, to cry out, to let that hunger remind you of what your actual deepest need is, and it is not a cheeseburger. It's Jesus. He's the only one that can fill your soul. Remember, Jesus even said, there's a couple of times, there one time as he's coming off the Mount of Transfiguration and they encounter that father with his son and the disciples and all their angst are not able to cast out the demon that's in that boy. And, and, uh, and Jesus comes, speaks a word, and the demon is gone. And later the disciples ask, how did you do this? And do y'all remember what Jesus said? This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. The interesting thing about that is nowhere in that whole story does it mention Jesus either praying or fasting. 
There's something in Jesus' life that, that, was a, that can be assumed as a rhythm of his life. Later, at another point, Jesus is sitting by a well with a woman, a Samaritan woman, actually, and, and, uh, and um, he, he references that he, he is eaten. They've asked him about, you know, do you come, come get some food? Are you hungry, basically? And he's like, I have food that you don't know of. That Jesus recognizes that the real substance for his soul is not going to come from a temporary meal, but from the eternal God. That's the invitation of fasting. So a total fast is when you just abstain from food for a set period of time. Some of you may go for Lent. We did a fasting, a corporate fast where that from sunrise to sunset, water only from sunrise to sunset. Which we didn't, those of us that engaged in it, didn't realize how hard that would be, especially in the spring when every day gets a little bit longer. There's also in the Bible what's called a partial fast. A partial fast is abstaining from certain foods. And that's where we get what we call the Daniel fast. And that's what we invite you into as a church. My real invitation for you, for us as a church family, is to somehow fast whatever God is leading you into. This is not obligatory. There's no guilt or shame on this. There's zero pressure. It really is just an invitation. And I can speak as that invitation is saying it's worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And I can tell you this, just to go on and prepare yourself for it, uh, especially uh, something like a Daniel fast or, or a total fast, is when you start to give up something that your body has become dependent on, your body will react and it will not be happy with you. And I do know for a fact that I will get multiple calls and texts, and it's okay, and I'm your pastor. Call and text me. That's what I'm here for. That's talking about, I don't know that, I think God may not want me to do this fast because I have had nonstop headaches since I started. Uh, my, My body, literally, I've had friends that, you know, like were sick in bed for a day and a half. Now, I will say, I don't necessarily think that was God, nor do I necessarily think that that was a demon trying to leave your body. It may just be you're completely addicted to caffeine and sugar. I mean, and that's not an indictment. It's just the reality of being American. And, and so, uh, so expect that. Enter into that. Expect, like, count the cost. No, this is not going to be easy. Um, it, my body is not going to like this, but it will be worth it on the other side. Um, and so the Daniel fast actually comes. You want to flip in your Bible to the book of Daniel. If you're uh, not sure where that is, kind of go halfway to the Bible. You'll see Psalms. Flip forward a few more books. You'll get past uh, Isaiah into Ezekiel, and then right after Ezekiel, you'll find Daniel. The Daniel fast has always felt like an appropriate fast because Daniel is a young man who is, whose heart is seeking after God. But he's a young man also in exile. He's been taken away from his family and his friends into a foreign land where he is forced into the service of an earthly king. And yet the whole time, even while in exile, even while feeling the angst of isolation and the angst of disruption, even while serving under an earthly master, he remains steadfast, faithful, and loyal to his true king, God. And Daniel 1 begins with, with Daniel and some friends that, are, uh, that have wisdom as young men. And they're brought in to serve in the king's palace. And the king's guard is preparing these men to be of service, to be the best and the brightest, the best looking and the strongest, to serve in the presence of the king. 
And to do that, they bring all of these young men. Remember, they've been brought out of exile. So they've been, they've been brought out of uh, the, the angst of a, of a war-torn country. Some of them have probably were prisoners and, uh, and brought in as a part of a, a, a prison um, a prisoner march across the desert. And so they're coming in, beaten up, exhausted. And they're brought into the king's palace. They're set aside, these, this handful of select young men. They're offered as food from the king's table. The problem with that food is, is twofold from Daniel's perspective. Remember, Daniel, is, is, his heart is for God. He's trying to stay faithful to the true king, even in this foreign kingdom. And the two things that are, that are an issue with this food is, one, it's, been, it's most likely been sacrificed to foreign gods. It's been offered as an act of worship to a different God other than Daniel's God. And eating this food is a symbol of loyalty to and worship of those other gods. It's actually interesting if you carry that idea over when Jesus starts talking about, I am the body and the bread, and we take communion. And this act of taking food that's offered as an act of worship is an act of surrender, of giving yourself over to something. And so by eating that food, it would be explicitly saying to the, the people around and to the king is that I am worshiping your God. I am giving my body to your God. The other thing is, is that the Jewish people had very strict dietary laws all throughout the Old Testament. And with those laws, there were certain foods that were considered clean and certain foods that were considered unclean. And surely some of those foods that would have been on the king's table would have been foods listed as unclean according to the Jewish law. And so for, for Daniel to stay faithful to his law and to his God, he couldn't eat that food, but now he's given a choice. Is he going to disobey the king who could sure story willing to put him to death? For not following him. And yet, if he's disobedient to God, he's no longer faithful to the one true king. So what does he do? And Daniel, being wise and his heart being for God, is willing to trust God. In verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. I love that, that line because in the order that that comes in. Daniel had resolved in his heart to be faithful to God regardless of the consequences. And he steps forward in faith and what does God do? Meets him there. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't always consequences. In fact, often there are. But that God, God met him with what he needed and he gave, favor, gave him favor in the eyes of the guard or the official that was over them. But the official of the Lord says, well, I'm afraid of my Lord the King, even if you're not, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? His assumption is, if you follow your God as compared to our God, you're gonna end up uh, in a worse shape than all of the other king's men that are doing the things the king tells them to do. This is the world that we live in where we're trying to stay faithful to the true king at the same time, many of us, we have you know, earthly masters that we're trying to be obedient to. There's a law of the land, there's, uh, there, and there's a culture that we live in. And what that culture is messaging to you is that if you follow after the ways of God, you're gonna end up worse off than if you follow the ways of culture. The Bible words it this way. There's a road that looks like life, but it ends up in death. 
And there's a road that leads to death. Or there's a road. I'm messing this up. Stayed up too late last night. It's a road that looks like death, and it leads to life. Yeah. Daniel knows what that road to life is. Daniel then said to the guard who had been appointed over them, verse 12, and this is where we get the Daniel fast from, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And at the end of those 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, what was the result? God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature, learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So what we see there is what we call this partial fast, the setting aside of vegetables and water. Now you would think this is the way that Daniel, the book of Daniel begins. Maybe this is a one-time thing in Daniel's life. He's, he's forced almost into a decision point and he responds with this partial fast. Vegetables and water only, it's 10 days long, try us out. But really at the end of the day, it's a, it's a battle between the king's food and trusting God. But what we find actually in Daniel's life, this posture of seeking after God, of opening his heart to the things of God, of laying himself, uh, surrendering to God is actually something that continues on and carries forward. If you'll fast forward to Daniel chapter 10. This chapter is famous because it is actually one of the, the, the clearest uh, Jesus visions given in, in all of the prophets. In fact, uh, there are some that think... Um, it was a habit of, or it was a, a regular practice of um, young Pharisees to meditate on this specific vision. And so there are some that think that this is actually what Saul would have been meditating on uh, when, he was, when he had his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And you hear him cry out, it's like, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. And so uh, this Daniel 10 is, a, is like a, a deeply central vision of the entire Bible. And what is Daniel in the middle of, or at the end of, sorry, when he has this powerful, dramatic breakthrough moment with God? Verse 2. At that time, Daniel mourned for three weeks. His heart is grieving over the state of his people. And verse 3. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. And on that 24th day of the first month, which I love is that the 20, first, 21 days in January, uh, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen. And I won't go through the whole vision. It's a great chapter to, to study. But for us and our purposes this morning, the invitation to Daniel fast and why we hold on to that to start our year it is because our, my heart, and I know so many of you, your hearts are to seek the face of God. We want to see breakthrough. Our hearts grieve for the world around us, for our families, for our community. We want God to show up in power. 
We want our hearts to be fully exposed to, to God's will and his ways. And so we, we learn from this great hero of faith, Daniel. And what did Daniel do? We see for 21 days, for three weeks, he, he set his mind to having no choice food, which is just any kind of delicacy or sweet, no meat or, or wine. And looking back to Daniel 1, we basically say it's a Daniel fast is 21 days of basically vegetables and water. And so for many of you, I know that starts today. And I know it won't be easy because it's an intentional setting aside of your appetites and your desires to say, God, I am going for this season. I'm going after something deeper and more significant and more important. Now, there's a couple of things I want to warn us with as a church. And this is just some observations of pastoring uh, this, this church family for the last few years. The Daniel fast is actually harder than a total fast in some ways. And that is that food is still a part of your life. And it is easy for food to still become a consuming thought. In fact, almost more so because you're having to be intentional with what you can eat and what you can't eat. A total fast, you're just saying, I'm just not eating. You know, for a day or three days or whatever it might be. Water only, easy enough. The Daniel fast is like vegetables. Does this count as a vegetable? Okay, whole wheat, is that allowed? Is fruit juice allowed or fruit? Like what, is, like what are the lines? Can I have lentil soup? And what have, if that lentil soup happens to have um, some, some honey in it? I don't know if you put honey in lentil soup. But, I mean, you, but you know these questions. And then what I've observed, and I just want to warn us against as, as a church family, I've seen it in my own life too, is that sometimes our focus of Daniel fast becomes what we're eating and what we're not eating. And we become more quick to share recipes and to share um, what we're excited about. And actually, this is the real warning. Basically, to do everything we can to not fast while we're fasting. I found the most amazing whole wheat veggie-only cookies. I mean, whatever it might be, right? I, mean, I, I know. I've had some of these conversations with some of y'all. I and mean, I'm just as guilty. The point of the fast is not about the food. It's about God. And if we find ourselves focusing more on what we're eating and what we're not eating, or trying to minimize the discomfort, then we're missing the point. The point is sacrifice. The point is discomfort. The point is intentionally setting ourselves in a place that we don't want to be for 21 days so that we can shed off some of our demands and our idolatry of comfort, some of our demands and idolatry of appetite to say, God, you are really the only one that can bring true security to my soul. And I don't like how this feels. And we go back to what I started with. What is it that sustains us? We're honest with Jesus. Jesus, I hate this. I don't like this. There's some ugly stuff that's getting stirred up that's coming to the surface. Here it is. Will you deal with it? And that's where powerful things happen. Powerful things don't happen because it was comfortable and felt good, and then all of a sudden, praise the Lord, breakthrough. Breakthrough comes because I'm uncomfortable and I don't like it, and I had to face some of my junk, and I have to repent of some things, and I had to be honest about some stuff that I was able to hide in my, in, in, you know, my quick grab for some kind of comfort food or my numbing from alcohol or my numbing from whatever you know, entertainment that I, that I can fill my mind and my busyness with and say, God, I'm gonna sit here with you and let you speak into my soul because at the end of the day, you're the only one that can sustain me. Amen?
That's the invitation. Um, it is not easy. It is actually probably more challenge than an invitation. I will say, if you do choose, and I say this carefully because, again, it's not about uh, how can I have still amazing, yeah, basically, how can I have amazing meals and not ever feel hungry while I'm fasting? But this, uh, this book right here we've, offered, we've uh, recommended the last several years. Um, it's called The Daniel Fast. I'll have our copy of it. I'll just put it up on the table over there. Um, or actually, I'll just set it right here. Uh, is um, by Kristen Fiola. It's got 21 days of devotions as well as um, just some guidance around um, uh, how to do the Daniel Fast. And in addition, um, the, a great, great just walk through the Bible explanation of fasting. And, and that is, like I said, a, a pretty neglected discipline in the American church. And so I do strongly recommend this book, um, The Ultimate Guide to Daniel Fasting. So I, the last thing I want to draw our attention to, if you go in your books, like I said, this, this watch week time is a time of reflection, of repentance, of us turning our hearts back to God, being honest with God, allowing him to deal with some stuff. But there's a couple of uh, exercises that are in here. If you want to flip to page... Um, here it is, page 15... This comes after the different prayer stations. Uh, you'll, you'll see this quadrant. This is just something my family and I started a, a many years ago. Uh, and actually this afternoon we'll be doing this as a family um, together for our year. Uh, but it's just a simple way of reflecting on the year. I do strongly recommend as you begin Watch Week is to just take time to pause with God and look back. Look back on the last year. The way that we do that as a family, we get just a, a large, uh, one, like one of those big sheets of paper back there, and we just put it on the wall in our house, draw a quadrant on it. In the top right-hand corner, we put a smiley face that represents the things that, uh, looking back on the last year, that you're thankful for, that make you happy when you think about it. Um, and we, we've done this with our kids since they were little, like itty-bitty. And so it's just, I mean, it's a great all-ages, that's why it's so simple, is because we're trying to figure out how to do this with a six-year-old. Um, and then in the top left corner, uh, we draw a, just a face with a straight line. That represents for us is these are things that we wouldn't necessarily have chosen, that they were really hard, uh, they were difficult, but at the end of them, they were good. Like we went through this, I didn't enjoy it while it was happening, but I look back on it and say, actually, that ended up being a good thing for me. Um, and so then in the bottom left-hand corner, we draw a frowny face, and that frowny face is, what are the things that happened that you wish hadn't happened, that you're grieving, that make you sad? Um, that, uh, that, were dis that were hurts or um, sorrows from the past year. And then in the right-hand corner, uh, bottom right-hand corner, we put uh, just a face with like a O mouth, and this is a symbol of disappointment. And that are, what are the things that didn't happen this year that you wished had happened? And what's amazing about that reflection, about being honest about the things that didn't happen, about the things that we're sad about, uh, is oftentimes what we're drawn into is a, is a place of gratitude and blessing. There's been a couple of years that we would have looked at as a family going into this exercise that we would have told you it was an awful year. <laughs> like we would have said, I, I mean, the expectation really was we were going to fill up that bottom left-hand corner. I don't know if there's input in the top right-hand corner. That was sort of the posture of our heart going into it. 
But then we actually started looking back at our year, started looking back at our, you know, our photo feed and, uh, and remembering the things that we did and watching how that top right-hand corner just filled with blessing after blessing after blessing, celebration after celebration after celebration, because it's easy to forget. Sometimes the hard stuff is just so overwhelming, it, it drowns out the amazing blessings and gifts that are in our lives. Anyone else had that experience? And then the bottom left, though, it's important to name the things that hurt, that we don't like. Culturally, we don't want to deal with pain. We just want to pretend that it's not there. Move past it and forget it. The problem is it doesn't go anywhere. Just bury it deeper in your soul. It will come out eventually. That's why fasting is so powerful. It forces some things out. But to name it, man, this hurt. This was awful. This is tragic. I hate this. And so as a family, we name that. We always pull out the, the sheet from the year before. And, uh, and then the second part of that, though, is to move simply from, I mean, out of reflection into, into dreaming, into hopes. And so on that next page, and I encourage you even right now, you can start beginning to just write some things. Is what are some things that you're hoping for? And we just say, what's one thing? What is one thing God's highlighting for you that your, your hopes are for this coming year? What's a relationship that you want to, you want to, to deepen? What, what are some things that you want to learn about? What are some things that you need to address your, your spiritual health, your faith? Is there anything, is there one thing physically that you want to do? Where do you want to go? And so this little guy was just a simple way for us to do that again, like I said, with our kids. But also, uh, it's just been personally a, a great reflection. Not to list 20 different resolutions, but just like what's one thing I'm hoping for for this year? And then offer that to God. And from that posture of reflection, to come into this space of prayer, to begin to lay things before God intentionally in confession, to begin to intercede for others for the things that are coming to mind, to begin to dream with God about the future. And with that, the final thing, as we enter into Watch Week, is... uh, we do invite, like, the church isn't um, mine. Like, I'm the, I'm the, I have the privilege of pastoring this church, but the church is us. It's you. Like, you're the church. We're the church, the people of God. And so when we think about the dreams of Grace Monroe, it's not the things that I'm dreaming about for Grace Monroe. It's the things that you're dreaming about. Like, what are the things God is stirring up in you in faith to move into? What are the ways God is breaking your heart for the neighborhoods? What, is God is, what are the ways that God's inviting you to engage the next generation? Like, what are the things God is laying on your heart that you're dreaming about? To restore marriages, to foster children, to, to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. Like, what is that? Like, that's not going to be coming necessarily from, like, the, you know, the powers on high. That, that is the work of the body of Christ being called forth into our own giftings that God has given each one of us in faith. God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. Not just for others to do that I get to applaud. So what is it God's inviting you into? And, and so with that, we've had this journal here that's been a part of our, our, our final prayer station. And it's the dreaming prayer station, and it's right out there in the lobby. And, and for the last uh, two years, we've used this same journal where people just write their prayers for the church as they're praying the words that are coming to mind, the verses that God is laying on their heart. 
And it's amazing to look back at this and just to see how God has answered those prayers. The ways that God's, the words God has spoken to people have been fulfilled or are being fulfilled. One of the most amazing is, actually, I didn't, I had forgotten about this. We had a different one from 2016. And 2016 was before we ever even had the idea of this property. So January 2016, it was actually later on uh, in, in April and May that we began to even pray about the, the possibility of, of this, this particular space. We were still at the mill. And to read the prayers of our people. And you know what the interesting thing about the focus of those prayers were? Over and over again, these are the prayers. God, may we be a people that seek your face, that we seek first your kingdom. God, we, want, we know you're going to do more than we could ever ask for or imagine, but Lord, keep our hearts focused on you. And what's amazing to me about that is God had a massive plan that he was moving us into. But you know what he was telling us as his church? Stay focused on me. Stay focused on me. I will surpass anything that you could even begin to dream of. And what's amazing is how so many of the dreams God plants in our heart, they're not going to get fulfilled this year. Some of them may. But they're the ones that we look back on years later and we go, oh, oh, that's what God was doing. That's what he was beginning. These are just little seeds that we're throwing in the soil and watching them grow. And so we're going to keep this, this prayer journal over in that dream station. And I just ask you, and take it seriously, please. Like, pray, Lord, give me a word for this year for myself. Will you give me a word for this year for the church? Will you give me a word this year for my family? Something to hold on to as I enter into 2023. And then write it down as a sacred act of faith. So we're going to continue in worship. I know that was a lot this morning, but I wanted to set us up for the week ahead. This, I really have, like, this is... Um, I don't want to use the word burden because it's not negative. I mean, it's actually expectation, I guess, is probably a better word. I'm so expectant of what God wants to do over the next week and the next, in the next uh, few weeks, month we have together. And I just hope that we will be faithful and respond uh, to whatever God has for us. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to pray. We're going to worship a little bit more. Just a simple way of worshiping. On Wednesday night, just so you know, we say prayer, worship, and fasting. We bookend uh, with worship, but also in the middle of the week, we're going to have a worship night um, here at 6.30 on Wednesday night. And so uh, I hope you'll come back and join us for that. Just a great way in the middle of the week to, to really come together. But I want to pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue in worship. We have communion set up um, to take communion together, that reminder of the presence of God with us in the person of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of God available to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I invite you as an act of faith to take communion, to start your fast, to start your year, uh, whatever that might mean or look like, whatever God's inviting you into. So close your eyes. And Lord Jesus, I pray that even right now, will you, Lord, God, by your prompting, not by anything that I have said, Lord, may there be zero uh, just expectation unless it's from you. But Lord, right now, will you just call to mind for each one of us here how you're inviting us to enter in to these first few days of the year? God, are you inviting us to fast, to give something up? 
Are you calling us to come pray? Are you telling us to wake up early? Or to get up in the middle of the night? God, will you disrupt our normal routines? Will you, will you shake us a little bit? Wake us from our sleep, Lord. And Lord, and Lord, I just pray, will you make that obvious that we could then, and give us the courage and the boldness to enter into that, whatever that is, in prayer, worship, or fasting, Lord. We surrender it all to you. In the name of Jesus.